Welcome to the Truth Champion Podcast with Ashley Yablon. Join us as Ashley taps into his wealth of experience as a lawyer, a leader, an educator, and an author to inform and inspire others. Listen as Ashley unpacks the real-life implications of standing for what is right against all odds, the pitfalls of blind ambition, and above all, the need to be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a super exciting podcast that I am over the moon to be part of. It's season one, episode one of the Truth Champion podcast, and we'll get into the reasons why we've called it the Truth Champion podcast later on. But the first episode is Get to Know Ashley, who has joined me today on the podcast. Ashley, why don't you say hello to everybody and introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Ashley Ablon and very excited to be here. Thank you very much. This is great. This is absolutely great. So actually, there's a reason why we're doing the series of podcasts, season one, as we're calling them. They're a precursor to something that is quite large. It's happening in your life early next year, right? So why don't you share what the plans are for next year and why you are full of anticipation right now? Yeah, very excited. This year, obviously, get a little bit of background about me and about what I'm about. And ne- early next year will be the release of the book that I've written called Standing Up to China. So super excited about that and ready for everyone to read the book. Standing Up to China. If that isn't a ominous sounding title, I don't know what <laughs> it is. Anyway, we, we, anyway what we're going to do today is get to know Ashley a little bit more and actually kind of, you know, your career, your background and how you found yourself in a situation where you felt you needed to stand up to China. So why don't you start? So where are you from? What was your childhood like? Just get to know, you know what's the background of Ashley? Sure. Again, Ashley Ablon. I am born and raised in Dallas, Texas. I'm the youngest of three boys and the son of very hardworking parents. Both my parents instilled that in all three of us boys, really about hard work, about dedication. My parents, like I said, worked hard. My grandparents did. So learn that at a young age, the hard work ethic. And I've always held that belief my whole life. Nice one. Cool. So in terms of your childhood, what was your childhood like? Talk to us a little bit about that. Like I said, both my parents worked and my dad was an entrepreneur, a businessman. Okay. We lived a, uh, I'd say kind of an up and down life. So things were either really good or really bad. But I think what that really taught us, my brothers and myself, was always work hard. And I remember when things would be bad, my dad would always would tell us, and I've never forgotten this, hey, you're going to have tough times and that's life. But give yourself a second to feel bad, dust your pants off and keep working even harder. And that was instilled with all of us. So good childhood, growing up, loved to play sports was involved and and schoolwork was always number one, was always the big key for us and doing well in school. That was really a requirement for my whole family. Excellent. What type of business was your father into as an entrepreneur? You know, he would buy companies. What would happen? He would buy companies that were kind of either not doing well and try to resurrect them. He was a really smart guy. My dad was originally from Chicago, Illinois, and made his way down here to Dallas, Texas and met my mother. But that's what he did. He would buy the business, try to resurrect it and sell it. And sometimes that was successful and sometimes it wasn't. And I think we learned more about the uh, when things weren't going Unsuccessful, well. Unsuccessful, right? Oh, absolutely. Those, those were the bigger learning curves. And, uh, but yeah, that was what he did. And yeah, I'm just used to that all my life. Used to the ups and downs. Absolutely. Did you inherit any of his entrepreneurial spirit, any of his entrepreneurial skills? I like to think so. Um, <laughs> obviously, writing a book. 
which is coming out. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was always into art. So I loved okay. music and I loved painting and drawing and would do that. I was really fortunate. I, as a kid, and then even in college, I had my own gallery show and sold artwork. So again, I guess that makes me an entrepreneur. Wow. What type of things would you paint? Did you have a genre? I'll tell you what, I was in college and okay. a buddy of mine was working there at, I went to SMU and I got a partial scholarship to go to SMU, but I paid the rest of my way by having a whole bunch of part-time jobs. Nice. And a buddy of mine was opening up the coffee store. He was in kind of the manager there. And he said, I need some artwork. And I said, okay. And so we found in the music department, some soundboards. And I said, you know, those are huge. I could paint on those. So I said, what do you want me to paint? He said, just paint whatever you want. So I painted all this stuff and it never made its way to the coffee shop because a friend of mine said, well, I'd love to put it in a gallery and show it. And so that's what we did. We had a big gallery show and all my artwork sold. I was really excited. Excellent. Cool. So talk to us a little bit about college. You went to college, I assume, after school. What did you study in college? I was a political science major and environmental earth science minor. And like I said, I went to SMU and I was fortunate yeah. enough, I got a partial scholarship, but I paid the rest of my way by having a whole bunch of part-time jobs. On the weekends, I worked at a bakery only because I wasn't baking anything, but I was allowed to fulfill orders. So I would sit there and do my schoolwork basically on the weekends, but I also worked at insurance companies. So while okay. all my friends were all, you know, wearing flip-flops and shorts to class, I was wearing a coat and tie because I had to get to the insurance company. <laughs> But the other job I had, I got it from a family friend, was working at a law firm. And okay. I was what they called a runner. So this is back in the day before e-filing and all that. But you'd have to take pleadings down to the court and file them. And so I was the runner, running them down to the court or running and using um, this crazy thing. I don't even think people know what it is anymore called the copy machine, where you'd actually take an <laughs> actual book and put it down and make copies. And I would give those to the attorneys, the cases. And uh, after a while, I thought... I think I could do this law thing. So that's how I kind of got the idea to go to law school. Excellent. So yeah, let's talk about it. So when you left college and then go to law school, did you come out? So in my opinion, I think there's always two types of people that come out of college, right? There's always the ones with the rose-tinted spectacles that think everything is going to be fine. Well, I'm going to be great. You know, I'm going to fall into my the best paying job I've ever had and I'm made for life. And there's those other people that may or may not have had maybe a more challenging background, but certainly the parents instilled proper values in terms of, look, yeah you know, you're still going to have to work, you're going to have to really put the effort in, things aren't going to come easy. When you came out and made, you know, the change into law school, I think I already know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. Which one were you? It's funny you said that. When I graduated, I was still working at that law firm and I asked to work full time. So for about a year or so, that's what I did. I worked making very little money and I was living at home. And uh, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. Did I want to go to law school? But I saved my money and I applied to what seemed like about 50 schools, but was really deciding where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And if I really wanted to pursue laws in my career. So like I said, for about a year and a half, maybe two years, that's what I did was work as a runner, kind of save my money and yeah. for all the application fees and then decided, okay, that's, I think that's what I want to do for a profession. And the job title you had when you're in the law firm as runner, it's a very stupid question. <laughs> Were you actually a runner? Did you actually have to run? Yeah, I'll tell you what was funny. Um, 
couple of funny stories. Yes, I would run. And being in Dallas, obviously, it's a uh, 100 degrees during the summer. So imagine wearing a coat and tie running through downtown Dallas. Um, but I learned real quick, I found a way that there was all these buildings in downtown. And if you got underneath them, it was almost like this underground kind of basement maze. And I, nice. I figured out a way that I could go all the way down from the office where I was all the way down to the courthouse underground without having to be outside in the sweltering Texas heat. But I did that. And yes, I would have to run. The other thing I had to do, and I'll never forget this, one of the attorneys, and he taught me a valuable lesson. He said, we were trying to, they had to serve someone with some paperwork and the lady was elusive. She would not be served. She didn't want to be served. So he handed me the paperwork and he said, Ashley, go serve this lady. And I had no idea how to do that. (laughs) And I said, how do I do this? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, figure it out. And so I walked to the lady's apartment and I'll never forget it. I'm, I'm walking and I'm thinking, how am I going to give this lady who's been eluding service for weeks now, how am I going to get her served? But I was going to figure it out. And as I'm walking up to her door, I'll never forget, there was a potted plant in front of one of the other apartments. And I picked up the potted plant. I put the paperwork in my back pocket and I knocked on the door and it was a glass door. And I looked in and had the potted plant with a big smile on my face like I was <laughs> delivering flowers. And she came to the door and I had a big smile on my face. And I said, are you, you know, whatever her name was. And she said, yes. And I said, great. And I put the potted plant down. I reached in my back pocket and I said, I have some paperwork for you. And you should have seen the look on her face. But I came back to the office and everyone was so surprised. They said, well, how did you get her served? And I said, I just figured it out. (laughs) Perfect. Before we kind of go into your more kind of formal roles, I guess, in terms of work, when you were growing up, when you went through, you know, college and then law school, was there any one moment there or was it a series of moments or even maybe it was something from your parents that instilled in you kind of the virtues of why you wrote the book in terms of, you know, standing up for what's right? Was there one incident or was it just a series of kind of, you know, lessons taught as you were growing up? Probably the lessons taught, like I said, you know, growing up, it was always about hard work and doing the right thing. And like I said, my dad was an entrepreneur type. And so he was always trying to provide for this family, this family of five, you know, my mom and my two older brothers, so the five of us. And he was always working so hard. And I'll never forget, this is probably when I was at school and undergrad, my one Sunday, I'll never forget it. I was with my dad. And I had a a day off from work and he and I were spending the day together. And this was about six months before my dad passed away. And he said to me, he said something I'll never forget. We were talking and he said to me, he said, son, if I had it all over to do again, I would have done everything by the book. I would have done everything legit. I would have done wouldn't have cut all the corners or tried to do the, you know, the quick buck, which a lot of times, like I mentioned, failed. But it stuck with me to always try to do the right thing. I haven't always been successful at that. No one is. But that always stuck with me. So to answer your question, yeah, that when I think about the book or, or what really the theme of the book is, that is what always stuck with me. Always try to do the right thing always go by the book and do things that were legitimate. And those were things that I just learned along the way and something he reinforced all the way up through college. Brilliant. I think that's a cracking story. And the fact that, you know, you can take that from spending that time with your father, I think is awesome. I've got myself, I've got some very vivid memories of my father. Most of them were to do with golfing or drinking. 
Um, but, <laughs> wow, um, I love both of them. <laughs> yeah, but certainly something something that stand out as that in terms of kind of your own personal values, I think is awesome, mate. So that's mm. really great to hear. So we've done college, we've done law school. What's the next steps for Ashley? Where does Ashley find himself now? Yeah, when I went through law school, like I said, when I got the job at the law firm, I got it yeah. from a, a family friend. Yeah. And he was a mentor of mine. And at the time when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I went and met with him over lunch. And at the time, he was what they call a general counsel. So he didn't work at a law firm. He worked at a company as their head lawyer. So okay. that's what they call a general counsel. You work as an employee of the company versus working at a law firm. So the, the difference being at a law firm, you do maybe one type of law but you have many clients. Yeah. Here as a general counsel, as a company, you have one client, but you're doing all kinds of different law for them. And I met with him and he explained kind of what it was about and what he did. And I thought to myself, wow, now that sounds like a great job. And I'll never forget it. I asked him at the time, I was really brazen. And I said, I would love to come work. Can I come work for you? And I'll never forget, he leaned back in his chair, and I think he said this, trying to be as nice as possible. <laughs> and he said, Ashley, I could hire you, but you don't know anything. And I, I thought, ouch, that kind of hurt. But, <laughs> but he was being honest and truthful. And then he gave me the best advice that I ever got. And I use this to this day, and for anyone who's ever worked for me or worked with me, he said, if you want to be a general counsel, you need to round out your tool belt. And I thought, what does that mean? And he said, well, all your friends are going to graduate law school. They're going to go work for a law firm and they're going to specialize in one area of law. You're going to do just the opposite. You're not going to go vertical. You're going to go horizontal. You're going to learn a little bit about everything. And his point was, go learn how to do litigation. And when you get that experience, go learn about employment law. And when you get that experience, go and learn about contracts. And so he said, that way you've rounded out your tool belt. A good general counsel knows a little bit about everything. They don't have to be a subject matter expert in everything, but they need to be a generalist. And I thought, that's what I'll do. And so for the next six years, that's what I did. I first started off as a trial attorney and took over 300 depositions. I wow. did two trials, did motions and hearings every Friday with judges. And then after a year of doing that, I went and learned about employment law. But at each stop along the way, I took either a pay cut or stayed at the same rate. So while my friends were specializing and, and making more money in one area of law, I was becoming a generalist and actually losing money. And so much so that, that my wife at the time would have to bring me groceries because I could hardly pay my bills. But I was dead set. I was focused, laser focused on becoming a general counsel, whatever that took. And... So worked on contracts and every opportunity I got to go learn something new and round out that tool belt. That's what I did. I think that's wonderful. And the world is such a small place, right? So I'm not just saying this because we're talking and we're recording this podcast. Recently, I read a book called, and I, and I was looking at it there called Range. And it's by an author called David Epstein. And he writes about how generalists will triumph in a specialist world. So, <laughs> you're, so you're absolutely done the right thing there. Was it? painful to see all your, like, your, your, I guess your law school friends? Was it painful then oh. to see up the ladder and maybe be able to afford the Ferraris or the Lamborghinis of the world where you're having to go <laughs> to your wife and say, can you buy me an apple? Was that a painful experience? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
yeah, that was that you know, you'd meet them out or see them, and like you said, they're pulling up in the fancy car, and um, you know, we're looking really nice. And sure, that was tough. But like I said, I was laser focused, and after several years, I realized I'm so far down this path that there's no other place to go. I'm committed. I'm 100. You're in. In. You're in. You're 100. So I, I did that for about six years, and that was the goal. Excellent. So after the six years, kind of. Oh apprenticeship i guess where did you go then what was what was because i'm guessing the six years where they were at different companies yeah different law firms so what i was doing was going to different law firms and rounding rounding out that tool belt so i'd go to one firm and learn contracts and then you got to remember i was a newbie and so i had no experience doing contracts so i'm just (laughs) begging them begging them please i know i don't have any experience let me do that and the same thing with employment law and so each stop was begging for them to just give me a shot after going to all these different law firms and rounding out that tool belt, I had a friend of mine and I had actually helped him get a job at a company in their legal department. And it was a company called McAfee. They're an antivirus software company. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I had actually helped him get the job there. And about six months later, he called me and and I'll never forget it. He said, Hey, Ashley, I think I've got an opportunity for you. We need a jack of all traits. And I said, well, call me Jack. I've been prepping this for six years. And they needed someone to come in and literally be a generalist and do a little bit of contracts and to do a little bit of employment law. And I just thought, my goodness, my ship has finally come in. I'm I'm there. They brought me in as an independent contractor. So I wasn't an employee. I was just an independent contractor. But I thought, I've got it. Finally, after six years, I got my big break. And so I started in at McAfee as a generalist and then was there for about four years and ended up handling their procurement department. So procurement are the contracts, not the sales contracts, but the contracts to run the company. So like when we say procurement, it's all the vendors that the company uses. And so I manage that group. And for a large, large, huge company like McAfee, that was a really great opportunity. And then also assisted with some employment law matters. So rounding out the tool belt was finally paying off. Excellent. Was it obviously working for McAfee, you've just been in multiple different plates at the same time. Was it what you expected to be? Did it meet your expectations in terms of going for a general counsel? Or was there any really sharp, oh, that's a learning curve. I don't know as much of this subject as I should do. Or was there, I guess there was some really kind of steep learning curves. But overall, what was the experience like? Did it meet what you were expecting? That's a great question. Yeah, there was a steep learning curve. You know, you would spend six years at a law firm and you, you know, wanted to learn the ins and outs. And what I always tell people, working as a lawyer at a law firm is all about billable hours, right? That's how a law firm makes mm. money. And what I loved about working at a company versus working at a law firm was I'm an employee and I'm part of the process. And so you have to be nimble. In other words, at a law firm, it's all about billing hours and, and making money at it. When you're at a company and you're an employee, you got to be quick, nimble, and how can we save money? Because I'm part of the process now. I'm part of the family of the company versus a law firm and, hey, we can just submit our big bill to you. And so I love that. I felt more part of the process. And that's what I really loved about being at a company. Also learning more about business. So when you're at a company... It's not just the law part of it. There's the business side of it. So that was a steep learning curve as well. And I learned a lot about business lingo from the salespeople that I was helping support. 
So whether there were sales contracts and it's kind of different being the attorney at a company where you're part of the process and, and an employee versus being at a law firm. And so there was, there was that learning curve and it was more about business and it was more about being nimble. And I love that. I really love that. Yeah. Part. And, you know, only th- we only met each other a couple of times, but certainly from what yeah. I've already gathered and gleaned from you, I think as well that pro- being part of the process and feeling part of the family, rather than just necessarily writing a check at the end of uh, an invoice at the end of the week. I think that plays more into the type of person you are and the type of values you have rather than, look, I've spent X amount of hours on your case, so I'm going to charge you this. So that's, Correct. That's, that, does that sound about right? You've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. It's you're part of the family and I'm used to that. And so it was, you are the process. And like you said, it's not just someone in, in an office downtown that has a secretary or someone send out a bill that the company receives in the mail. No, I have to be accountable because I'm seeing the CEO or the CFO or whoever, salespeople, anyone, every single day. And I'm right there in the office with them. So it's a higher level of accountability, I think, by being an employee, uh, an attorney at the company versus being in that, you know, the proverbial ivory tower downtown where you're just submitting an invoice in the mail. Perfect. So I've got a question, and I, this is a bit out of left field, so you may struggle with that, that's fine. But in terms of when you were the general counsel, what was the weirdest request somebody had for you from a general counsel standpoint? You thought, why are you asking me this? <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, that was further along in my career of becoming fine when I finally became a general counsel. You know, when I started at McAfee, just to kind of clarify, yes. I was, it was such a large company that it was, we had a general counsel and then we had a group of attorneys underneath. Got it. So underneath. Assistant general counsel, associate counsel. So when I started at McAfee, I was what they called an associate counsel. I started at the very bottom rung, but I thought, man, oh man, one day, one, one day, day if I play my cards it. right and I work <laughs> my way up, I'll be a general counsel. And that was the goal. And so, you know, like I said, I worked at McAfee for about four years. Yes. Associate counsel, worked up to senior corporate counsel and and worked my way up. And then after about four years, I had an opportunity to work for Huawei, the U.S. entity for Huawei, which is uh, one of the largest telecom companies or a Chinese telecom company. And I had an opportunity to be the assistant general counsel. And I thought, wow, here it is, an international company, a multi-billion dollar company. And now I'm, I'm going to be the assistant general counsel for the U.S. entity for it. And that was a huge learning curve as well. To answer your question, kind of going back to that, I think that was one of the weirder questions I ever got was, again, they were a Chinese company and most of the staff there, about 80% of it was Chinese nationals that were here on U.S. visas. So only 20% of the staff, including myself, were U.S. citizens. Everyone else was a Chinese national on a visa over here working for the company. And so what I learned was the difference between U.S. culture and Chinese culture. And some of the questions I got, as an example, one of the first questions I got when I was working at Huawei was they came to me and and the Chinese and they didn't understand the lawsuit. And they were trying to explain a lawsuit that they had against them. And I'll never forget it. They said to me, they said, well, what do you think of our case? And how do you think you know, what do you think our odds are? And and what do you think of it? And I'll never forget it. I looked at them and I said, you know what? I'd much rather be in their shoes, meaning the other side versus our shoes, meaning Huawei's side. And they looked at me kind of funny 
And then they walked off and I didn't understand what I had said. And finally, one of the Chinese nationals came to me and said, you just offended them. And I said, I'm so sorry. What did I say? And they said, well, you insulted their shoes. And I said, I, I don't understand. I shouldn't laugh. I'm sorry. I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you just said you'd rather have their shoes than our shoes. And I said, and I realized that what I had done was obviously <sighs> taken, uh, you know, something that an American phrase, right? Your yeah, yeah, shoes yeah. versus my shoes. And they literally took it literally. And I learned a real lesson there that I needed to be careful with my words and really explain things. And I think that's the biggest thing I learned, especially when working with international companies or Chinese companies was it made me boil down things to the essence. And I became an over explainer probably at times because I wanted to make sure that I explained it in just bite sized chunks and not take for granted that someone might understand something that we here in America would say, my shoes. I'd rather be in their shoes than ours. I think you're absolutely right there. I think that sometimes when it comes to communication, you assume, and you should never assume, right? Because you're always, you make an ass out of you and me. Which is an old, <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. So you should never assume. And I love the fact that you kind of took that upon yourself in terms of, right, I need to be an over-explainer, particularly given the field that you're working in, all the nuances within there, right? You have to be crystal, crystal clear. So going back, after McAfee, you found yourself in this new role, and this new role is kind of the basis of the new book, right? And right. I, we don't want to give too much away, but maybe if you could, apart from explaining to people that you offended people wearing <laughs> on their shoes, <laughs> <Not> their shoes. <laughs> on their shoes, maybe you could just explain what was your journey like working for that for the Chinese company? How was that different from maybe McAfee or maybe you know law school or college and and all that? What was that journey like, mate? <sighs> Crazy. To begin with. Um, so I'd been at McAfee for four years and a buddy of mine who was at McAfee had gone on to Huawei. Yeah. And when he saw the opportunity there, there was a role for me. And so he brought me on and immediately I learned. So I'd taken all the things that I'd learned from McAfee were business, right? I'd worked at the law firms. Now I'd yeah. worked at a company, a U.S. company like McAfee, and then I had to learn business. And yes. now not only am I learning business, but I'm learning international business with a foreign client. And that was tough. That was really tough. The cultural differences that you had to understand going to China when they would ask me to go there and I flew to China was an amazing experience. I had never been. So I was with Huawei and Huawei was based in Shenzhen, China. So what you do is you, at the time, Hong Kong was obviously a different country at the time. This is back in yeah. 2010. And I'd fly into Hong Kong. And it was a 14-hour flight. I flew coach. And then once I got into Hong Kong, I would cross the border. I'd take a bus into Shenzhen. Yeah. And I basically stayed at the equivalent of a youth hostel. It had no air conditioning. I didn't even have a bed. I had a rattan hard mat. And like I said, there was no AC. There was a, an old 1970s television that just had two channels. And then I was given $25, $25 for both my room, food, and travel. So imagine, no wonder I had to stay. They found me this, what I called the youth hostel, was because for $25, it really didn't go very far. And then I had to eat. And so I was eating, at, you know, I would get a fast food and literally I would went to the KFC. There was a KFC right next to us to the youth hostel and I would just get a value meal. So it was very different than working for, you know, McAfee or working at a law firm where there's a, a large expense 
budget when you're working for a company like Huawei. And then later on, I went to ZTE and we can talk about that in a minute, but it was the same thing. So it was a real cultural difference. And then getting around town, again, talk about figuring it out. I had to figure out how to use the subway and get from my youth hostel room back to the headquarters for the company. And that was challenging, but I figured it out. So there was a a real learning curve from, like you said, from law school to working at the law firms to working at McAfee, and then now going to an international company like Huawei and trying to understand Chinese culture. And a large, I don't want to give away too much, but a large part of the book is about Chinese culture and trying to understand that. Yeah. And to be honest with you, you don't expect to hear that from people that say, you know, I travel as part of my job. You normally expect it to be, I wouldn't say celebrity status, but you certainly expect it to be at a certain level. And the fact that you're having to spend, do you know what I mean, in a youth hostel and you're yeah. having to go and get KFC food, that's mm-hmm. not something that you'd normally expect. So you mentioned another company there. Do you want to quickly kind of give an overview on that one? Because I think that's the main one, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So- So like I said, Huawei is one of the largest telecom companies in the world. They manufacture phones with their own name on it. They also manufacture what we call white label phones to where they'll manufacture it for another company who will put their label on it. But their main competitor, also a Chinese company, is called ZTE. And within about a year of me working at Huawei, an opportunity opened up for at ZTE, and this is ZTE here in the U.S., so it's for the U.S. entity. And they were hiring their first ever general counsel. So if you remember at McAfee, I worked my way up from associate counsel to senior counsel. Then when I got to Huawei, I was assistant general counsel. And then at ZTE, here was the, you know, this was it. This was what I'd always wanted. This was the goal. And it was the opportunity to be the general counsel. And here I was to be the general counsel for the U.S. entity for one of the largest telecom companies in the world. And at the time, I was 39 years old. I had interviewed with them and I just turned 40 years old. And I remember I interviewed with them and I remember saying, this will be my job. I will get this job. No one's going to out interview me. No one's going to out answer me. I will get this job. And I was bound and determined because this is everything I'd worked for. All those days, all those opportunities, all those sitting and having my wife bring me groceries was finally going to pay off. And that's what I thought. And we can get into that later. But the book is about what happens when be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's quite a nice way to end the first recording because you've explained the journey and now you're at a place which expands on kind of what the book's all about. And again, I don't want to spoil it too much for the audience members out there, but maybe if you could, before we end today's recording, if you could quickly summarize again, briefly, (laughs) what the book's about, and then, you know, maybe explain to the audience if there's anything else that you'd like, you know, you'd like to share with them. Sure. The book, again, is called Standing Up to China, How a Whistleblower Risked Everything for His Country. And what the book kind of starts off with is a lot of everything I just kind of explained to you, but went into greater detail, kind of about my journey in wanting to be a GC and the idea of working hard and putting in the hard work and getting the reward. And it's about blind ambition. It's about be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Um, (laughs) But the book really focuses in on the time at ZTE and everything that happens when a company is under investigation and you are the person at the heart of the story. And sometimes 
at that point, you need to stand up for what you believe in, no matter what, right? No matter what. I did. And um, that's what the book is about. Standing up when everything is against you and you have everything to lose, including your career, your finances, and you've even been threatened with your life. That's what the book is about. Yeah, I'm getting goose pimples just thinking about it. I can't wait to do those sessions with you a little bit more in depth. Ashley, thank you so, so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to learn a little bit more about you and to, you know, get to know your background, your career and your story, and obviously the prelude to the book and subsequent episodes that we're going to do. For the audience members out there that are listening, where can they find out more about you? You can find out about me at on my social media through my LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on my website, ashleyablon.com. Excellent. Cool. Ashley, thank you so, so much. Audience members, please get in touch. If there's anything, any questions you've got for Ashley, please let us know. We'll take those questions and we'll send them over to Ashley. Thank you all very much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Truth Champion Podcast with Ashley Yablon. To find out more, please visit www.ashleyyablon.com or follow Ashley on social media. Let us know what you thought of today's podcast or suggest topics you'd like Ashley to cover in the future.